Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Welcome to our final study in the book of Ephesians. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for drawing us together. Thank you for everything you've said so far to us through this wonderful book in your word. Lord, I pray that you would be the one to speak, that your words would go forth today and accomplish the purpose for which they were sent. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We previously learned that Paul drew his inspiration for the spiritual warfare section of his letter to the Ephesians from the Roman soldier who was chained to him every hour of every day. As Christ followers, we are all in a spiritual battle. And like that soldier, we have also been given armor to wear, but our armor comes from God and we don't fight this battle in our own power. Rather, we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. God has provided us with everything that we need to be successful against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. However, we do have a choice as to whether or not we put on the armor and use the weapons he's given us. That's the same if you think about it for every soldier. They can be well equipped, but if they refuse to put on what they've been given, they will be vulnerable. Not only that, but if they don't pick up their weapons or if they haven't been adequately trained in the use of them, their effectiveness will suffer. And honestly, it's no different for us. Our enemy, the devil, has schemes and he uses them most effectively to separate us from God, to discourage us from the study of God's word, to stop us fellowshipping with other Christians, and also to sideline us from effective ministry for the Lord, whether that's through pride or through insecurity. We, however, are to stand firm, knowing that we have the truth of God wrapped around us like a belt, holding all of the other armor in place. Now, don't forget that the belt on the Roman soldier is what held his sword in place. And soon enough, we're going to see how God's truth and how the sword of God's spirit, which is the word of God, work together and how they're connected. But more of that shortly. Last lesson, we learned that we'd also been given a breastplate of righteousness. And that righteousness was not our own self-righteousness. No, this is rather Christ's righteousness. He covers us and he protects us. And because he does, we are able to live different lives. Because we're in Christ, our own actions will begin to change as he governs our hearts. And those those different actions are going to be what keeps the enemy from gaining a foothold.
Now, remember Paul was looking at the Roman soldier that he was chained to as he wrote this, and he would have noticed the soldier's sandals and how they had metal studs or cleats underneath the soles. These were there so that the Roman soldier could dig in and stand firm in battle. No one could push him back once he had dug those cleats into the ground. Now, the same is true for us. It is the gospel that causes us to dig in and refuse to give the enemy ground. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection that causes us to push forward and take new territory for the Lord. The Roman army was really world-renowned for its sandals. What they wore on their feet was of such high quality and strength, they could march further and faster than anyone else. They were unstoppable. Wearing their sandals, they could cover huge distances in very short periods of time, and that often meant that they would catch their opponents off guard, which was one of the reasons why the troops had such success. Their feet were prepared, and ours need to be as well, because we need to be ready to march wherever necessary to free those who are held captive by our enemy. Not only that, but because we have these sandals, we can be ready for any path, knowing that no matter what the terrain, our supreme commander has equipped us to deal with it. Ephesians 6.16 reminds us that as we go, we are also to take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The Greek word used in the text here for shield is very significant because the Romans really used two different types of shield. The smaller round shield was for close combat, but the one that Paul speaks of here was the other kind that they used. It was very big and it was far more protective. The Greek word used here is thureos, meaning a large four-cornered shield. This shield was also known as the door because it looked like one. The shield stood more than three foot high and it was slightly curved and so it provided exceptional cover for anyone who stood or knelt behind it. However, that being said, this kind of shield was most effective when the soldiers used them together. The Roman soldiers were unstoppable because they operated as a unit when they came under fire. Some soldiers would link their shields together to form an outward circle for the group, and the others inside of that circle would then raise their shields up to protect the group from any missiles that might rain down on them from above. So using their shields in this way, their armor really took on the shape of the shell of of a tortoise so that they were able to press forward against incredible odds. Now, do you see why this is such a wonderful picture for us as Christians? Because we need each other, especially when the going gets tough, because that's when we need to link our shields together. We need to interlink our faith shields with one another so that we might better advance the kingdom of God. We're more effective when we operate together as a unit. And of course, Satan knows that, and that's why he tries to divide us whenever he can.
But there is another interesting fact about the Roman shield. The shield was made of wood covered over with leather, usually cowhide. But before encountering an army, the Roman soldiers would dip their shields into water to wet the leather. And it was so that the wet leather could put out any flaming arrows that were shot into the shield. In Ephesians 5.26, Paul, if you remember, had already linked the word of God to water. And as soldiers in Christ's army, we each need to immerse our faith shield into the water of God's word to make it truly effective. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Then, when Satan's flame-tipped arrows come our way, which they most certainly will, his fiery shots will be quickly extinguished when they encounter the word of God. Do you hear a whisper say, you can't do what God's asking you to do? Well, then reply confidently with Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you hear that fiery dart go out as it hit the shield? What about the voice that whispers, surely there must be more ways to God than Christ alone? Well, then quote the word. Acts 4 verse 12 says of Jesus, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Again, The word of God will defeat the enemy's arrow. No wonder Satan tries to keep us from studying God's word. It's powerful when it's used with the shield of faith. Let's look at verse 17 as we come to the final pieces of armor now. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We see that those who have turned to Christ are equipped with the helmet of salvation. Now, if you think about a battle raging, you may think that the helmet was only used to protect the soldier's head against the blows of the enemy. And that was certainly true. But the helmet not only protected the individual, it also identified whose side they were on. The Roman helmet was made of bronze and iron, and often it was decorated with a colored plume on top so that soldiers could easily be identified with their regiment. Not only that, it was so that they could quickly recognize their comrades on the battlefield. So in this, Paul's encouragement is that we shouldn't blend in with everyone else, rather like a chameleon, but rather we are to stand out as a Christ follower. Being identified with Christ's army, we have a transformed way of thinking, a renewed way of thinking. And we're to take up our sword, which is the word of God, in order to do battle with the enemy. And remember, that sword is attached to the belt of truth. Truth and the word of God go hand in hand together. Because we know the truth of Christ, we are able to quickly grasp the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
Like the Roman soldier whose sword was quick to come to his hand, Scripture will come swiftly to our hand as well. It'll almost become a part of us. Now, I want you to notice something, though, because we've spoken of God's word as both being water and a sword. The water of God's word is a vital part of the defense of armor because it relates to the shield. But it's also the main offensive weapon of God's army as well. So although the word has a defensive element to it, we are called to use God's word offensively to go on the attack as well. Now, how do we go on the attack using the word of God? Well, by lovingly sharing the truth of God's word with others, by speaking it to them to build them up according to their needs, and by praying God's word over people and situations. The Roman soldier's sword was a sharp two-edged sword, and in the right hands, it was incredibly effective at dispatching the enemy. I don't know about you, but that is certainly the way I want to handle the word of God. You see, the enemy cannot be truly defeated without the use of God's word. Think about it. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, each time Jesus answered him by quoting the scriptures. Now that's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4 and you can go and look at that in more detail later. But when you look at it, you'll see how Satan even tried to twist the word of God at one point, And yet Jesus always countered with scripture correctly quoted. And just as any soldier needs to practice and practice with their weapon, we need to train ourselves in the use of God's word as well. In fact, Paul would later tell Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You and I need to be of those who correctly handle the sword of God's word, and that's going to take time. It's going to require practice, but it is vital for the success of our mission. Paul then goes on to speak of another incredible weapon that we have, especially when it's combined with the word of God, and that weapon is prayer. Let's see how verse 17 links to verse 18. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. God wants us led by the Holy Spirit as we pray for people. And praying God's word over them is far more effective than praying our own words all the time. Actually, Paul tells us so much about prayer here in this single verse. So if you're taking notes, write this down or maybe underline these words in the text. Because you see, we are to pray always. Often people pray during times of hardship and trial, but God wants us to pray always. Yes, he wants us to pray in the bad times, but also in the good, because prayer not only changes the thing we pray about, prayer changes us too. Prayer not only deepens our relationship with God, it deepens our relationship with those we pray for as well. 
Paul advises that we are to be watchful as well. In other words, we are to be alert. A soldier is of little use if he's gone to sleep. We are to be alert, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who will lead us as to how to pray. But we also need to be alert for the schemes of the enemy that need to be prayed against. Not only that, we are to pray with all perseverance. We are not to give in to the enemy's discouragement, but we must continue to pray for the breakthroughs that are needed. Of course, there will be times when God's answer to our prayer is no, but when that happens, we've got to see it as being his protection, his best for us, knowing that we don't always see things the way that God sees them. For example, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's Matthew 26 verse 39. If you think about it, Jesus received a no from the Father to that request. But in a strange way, aren't you glad that he did? Because that cup of suffering did not pass from him, we are redeemed. His death on the cross brought our salvation. The other thing Paul reveals here in Ephesians 6.18 is that we're to be in prayer for all the saints. It's very interesting to me there that there's no mention of praying for ourselves. Did you see that? The focus of Paul's prayer is outward. So that's challenging to me because how much of our prayer life is focused on others and how much of it is focused on a list of our own personal needs? Because honestly, that may need to change. Do you see that Paul goes on to do something very interesting there in verse 19? Notice what he asks for when he asks them not only to pray for all the saints, but also to pray for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." Isn't that amazing? There he was, falsely accused, imprisoned, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, every day. But Paul, even more than that, by now must have suspected that he would ultimately face death for his belief in Christ. And yet he doesn't ask them to pray for his release. He doesn't ask them to pray for his comfort or his well-being or his safety. Rather, he asks them to pray for him to boldly open his mouth and to make the mystery of the gospel known to those who were yet to receive the love of Jesus. Paul saw himself as an ambassador in chains. You see, the truth was is that they could chain him, but they couldn't chain his message. Now, the dictionary tells us that an ambassador is a diplomat sent by one country as its official representative to another country. Now, if you think about it, that's really what Paul was. His citizenship was in heaven, but God had sent him as his official representative to Rome. So do you understand that God has placed you in specific circumstances to be his official representative too? 
Perhaps the time is right then for us to stop praying for a way out of the circumstances we find ourselves in and instead start praying for God to give us opportunities to open our mouths and to represent our kingdom and our king well, even within them. Paul then closes his letter to the Christian brothers and sisters in Ephesus, and the last thing on his mind is to encourage them and to reassure them. Look at verse 21. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tuchikos, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. In the letter, Paul had not given many details of what he was going through at the time, but rather he sent his written message with Tuchikos, who would himself update them with everything concerning Paul's situation. Apparently, he was going to give them a personal account of Paul that would comfort their hearts. And that's interesting to me because Paul didn't ask them to pray for his comfort, but he was concerned for their comfort. Such selflessness. Um, Tukikos, by the way, was a man who had accompanied Paul on several occasions. In fact, he'd actually been part of the party who'd been with Paul in Jerusalem when Paul had been arrested. And he apparently stayed with the apostle even when he was imprisoned in Rome. And Tukikos served as a messenger to the churches, carrying Paul's letters to them and giving them updates on his situation. The Roman emperor would eventually release Paul from this particular imprisonment, but he would be rearrested later. And when Paul was imprisoned for the second time in Rome, Tuchikos would be there again to help him shortly before Paul was executed. This man was a good friend and a fellow worker with Paul in the spread of the gospel. And you can see in the text, Paul calls him a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. Paul concludes then in verse 23 saying, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus in sincerity. Amen. Do you see those key words of blessing there? It was on Paul's heart that they know peace, the true peace that only can come through salvation through Jesus Christ. Because the one who belongs to God, who has been purchased by the blood of Christ, they have true peace. They fear nothing. They can be content irrespective of their circumstances on earth. They need not fear the future because they know the one who holds the future. Paul had that kind of peace because he knew his times were in Christ's hand. Whatever happens in this life, it's insignificant with what comes next in God's presence. Paul desired that his friends know this peace also. He wanted them to know both the peace of God and also the love of God and the love that he plants in our hearts for one another. He wanted them to have faith.
a trust and a confidence in God that would be rooted in their knowledge of Christ. And then finally, he greets all those who love the Lord Jesus with this blessing of grace, this merciful kindness of God. Over the course of this letter to the Ephesians, we learned much of what is true of us now that we're in Christ. To quote some of the verses we've read over the weeks, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We are holy and without blame before him in love because we are accepted in the Beloved. Once we walked according to the course of this world, we were by nature children of wrath, but God made us alive together with Christ, and he has seated us in heavenly places. Christ has not only reconciled us to God the Father, but he's reconciled us to one another because he has broken down the middle wall of separation. We're not only no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens. We are members of the household of God. Though we were once darkness, now we are light in the Lord. We're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he has given us his armor that we might stand against the principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I think many of us realize that we've grown up believing what the world has said about us. Many of us have believed the lies Satan has fed us. But if we as Christians really saw ourselves the way that God sees us, if we knew his incredible love for us and that we are his treasured possession, that we are completely accepted in the beloved, it would surely change the way that we live. I hope this study has changed your life. I know that it certainly has changed mine. Let's give God thanks. Father, we thank you so much that you have clothed us in Christ's robe of righteousness. You have called us out of darkness and into the light of your dear Son. More than that, Lord God, you have completely transformed us. We were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Thank you so much that this was not done in our own strength or by our own good works. This was done through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He accepted your will for him and willingly went to the cross so that we might have life in him and have it more abundantly. Lord, I pray that we would put on the full armor of God and go out into the world around us to win others for your kingdom, to set the captives free. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.